Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast series that takes the spirit of Cannabis Conference and brings it to the airwaves. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Conference. This week, I'm very excited to have Patrick Williams, the managing editor of Hemp Grower, on the mic. Joining me in studio, in fact, at Beyond the Show World Headquarters. Cannabis Conference, of course, is co-produced by the teams at Cannabis Business Times, Cannabis Dispensary, and Hemp Grower, and we wanted to share some staff insights into the event this year and beyond, of course. So welcome to the show, Patrick. Very glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Eric. Absolutely. Well, of course, Cannabis Conference happened uh, at this point um, about a month ago, a month and change, back in August. And I think we all know, too, that the 2020 event uh, was subjected to some forces out of our control. It went virtual, and that was great. But in terms of the in-person show, this was uh, your first time at Canvas Conference, correct? Yes, it was. I contributed a bit to the virtual conference last year, but this was a totally different beast in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun time out there. Um, I mean, a really great um, you know, uh, crowd. The crowd showed up. It was uh, really well attended, and I think all the sessions provided a lot of just fantastic education for everybody. Um, just in terms of being out there in the crowd and in the different sessions, what were some of your general impressions of the show from, from the perspective of a staffer? I think one of the biggest things was there was such a variety, variety of um, you know, different expertises on display. We had growers, retailers, um, scientists, attorneys, engineers, people more involved on the hemp side. Um, all sorts of different ancillary businesses. Of course, we need to give a shout out to our exhibitors who Definitely. did a great job just, you know, promoting different products and services and, and just, uh, you know, having conversations with people there at the show. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I, I like to use the title of the show a lot. We're going beyond the show and sort of an attempt to take the conference into a, a different format outside of just the three day window. But I also sometimes view the show as kind of going beyond the magazines. And I know I mentioned a couple of our brands earlier, um, Hemp Grower being an important one that launched back in 2019. And the show in many ways uh, takes what's happening in the pages of Hemp Grower and uh, obviously brings it to life in a different way. Um, I know we had some, some writers and columnists out at the show this year who appear in the pages of Hemp Grower pretty regularly. I don't know if you want to spotlight a few of them. Yes, yeah, so we had Marguerite Bolt, who's a hemp extension specialist at Purdue University in Indiana, provide a presentation. We also had Dr. Raymond Cloyd from Kansas State University. He's an entomologist there, um, as well as Jamie Shaw from Brightfield Group. She talked a bit about consumer trends, both in cannabis and hemp. So there were different, uh, different ways that people from across the industry and, and ancillary businesses contributed. What were um, I know Marguerite's pretty uh, pretty regular contributor as you mentioned uh, on, on the column side. Uh, what was she getting into at the show? So she was talking all about disease management and prevention. So um, she's studying uh, pathology right now at Purdue, um, going for her doctorate, and she's working with Dr. Jana Beckerman, who's a name that a lot of people in the industry might know. So she talked about different pathogens, um, specifically biotic agents. So fungi, bacteria, and viruses. Yeah, I mean, what are some of the, um, I mean, obviously these are sometimes very complicated issues that take multiple pages in a magazine at a time to, to suss out. Um, what were some of the, I guess, um, benefits of having her speak in person to be able to dig into some of this information more, um, more in person, I suppose? 
Yeah, it's really just more of a dialogue. I mean, we have questions and answers at the end of the different sessions. Everybody's learning about the same thing at the same time in the same room. They can have conversations with each other, uh, you know, right after these sessions. And then they can take all of that information immediately back to the farm. Yeah, definitely sort of a, a set of action items. And, of course, you get that in print. You get that on the website. But there is certain, there's a certain, uh, I don't know, liveliness to, uh, to being in person. And we were very excited to be able to do that. Um, I know we were talking off mic about Greg Gerdeman, Dr. Greg Gerdeman, rather, who was at the show as well. Uh, he recently appeared on a podcast that Cannabis Business Times and Hemp Grower co-produced about Delta-8 THC, which, you know, it's hard to turn around anymore without hearing about Delta-8. Uh, but that's not the only minor cannabinoid that's, that's catching headlines. Um, I don't know if you wanted to get into what Dr. Greg Gerdman was talking about, too, but I know he's up to a lot of fascinating work lately. Yeah, so he was on a panel called Product Formulation Best Practices, Current Trends, and Where the Future Will Take Us. So he was on there with Andrea Small-Howard from GB Sciences and Mike Hennessy from Wana Brands, and they talked about different ways that cannabis and hemp uh, manufacturers and product formulators can formulate products to have different effects on patients and consumers. So a lot of the interesting discussions surrounded, you know, what's the difference of having an edible with X amount of THC or CBD or whatever cannabinoid versus a beverage versus smoking and, and you know, what are the potential health benefits of each? Um, of course, we're still kind of in a nascent stage with a lot of this research. But honestly, yeah, Dr. Gerdeman, he's been doing this for quite a while now. And, um, you know, he's one of the big names in the space that's looking into these different cannabinoids and kind of how this um, this new regime of of newly discovered and converted cannabinoids could fit into the hemp and cannabis industries. A lot of that's kind of up in the air, but he's actually going to be providing some insights in one of our next issues. Awesome. Yeah, I know. I mean, it is a really sort of interesting emerging part of the industry. I know the FDA and the CDC have have come out talking about Delta-8 THC, and, and they have their perspectives, of course, as agencies. But nonetheless, these are incredibly important parts of, of the marketplace. Um, I know we're, we're talking here in late September, um, and of course, Hemp Grower is a monthly publication, just like Cannabis Business Times. I don't know if you want to talk about some of the stuff that might be coming up in, uh, in October in Hemp Grower. Yes. So our cover story for October will look at minor cannabinoids in the hemp space. Um, so we're going to have insights from Dr. Gerdeman, Dr. Ethan Russo. Um, I believe there are some data scientists and attorneys who will be contributing as well. So there will be a lot of information about how these cannabinoids could fit into your business, or maybe that's something that people aren't interested in. And that's fine too, of course, if you have another way to excel in in this industry. But um, yeah, we're really excited about that. And we're going to also have a little bit of information about some of the newest cannabinoids. So THCP and CBDP are some of the ones that are just on the cusp right now. Yeah, a little alphabet soup out there. I mean, it's... uh, it is pretty exciting. I mean, you know, it seems like there's a lot, a lot going on. And, and to your point, too, uh, a little bit for everybody. Um, you know, a lot of people are entering the industry, both on the hemp side and the state-licensed cannabis side, a lot on the growing side, the retail side, processing, you name it. Uh, this industry is very it, – it's growing very quickly, and it's, it's sort of a giant tent that people are finding their place beneath 
as time goes on. And uh, of course, we always hope that Cannabis Conference is sort of a platform to get into some of those issues and get into the differences and the emerging market trends. Uh, but same with the magazines. You know, these are coming out on a monthly basis, and uh, we we put them together in in as timely and timeless a way as possible. But of course, things are always changing, which makes it super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. We're always having a great time here, just trying to put together a good variety of information for growers out there. Absolutely. Well, I know I've been mentioning it uh, for the past few weeks, getting some staffers on beyond the show. Patrick, very glad to have you join us this week for sure. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. For our feature interview this week, I was pleased to talk with June S. Lee, co-founder and president of Navis, a California cannabis distributor. After our recent conversation with Jared Schwass in Northern California two episodes ago, I wanted to dig into that theme of retail access. June just spoke about that very issue at Hall of Flowers last week, and I'm glad to have him aboard our show to continue. In June's role at Nabis, he oversees revenue, operations, and business strategy. He brings the experienced mindset of a systems architect to cannabis, creating seamless business and consumer experiences through technology including lessons learned from time spent at Facebook and Google. June also serves on the California Cannabis Industry Association Board and the Board of Oakland Citizens for Equity and Prosperity. Please enjoy my conversation with June S. Lee. Well, June, thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Show this week. Very eager to get into some California-specific issues uh, that NABIS has been navigating in that state market. I did want to begin with Hall of Flowers, of course. I know you were speaking there just last week, and it's sort of a major event in California and for the industry in general. So uh, if you could sort of tell me, uh, what was Hall of Flowers like this year, and and what were you talking about? Yeah, um, so Hall of Flowers was really nice. Um, It was kind of the first major event uh, in California that brought together everyone from the industry since covid um, and was good to put the face and name for all those uh, people that we met during the, the remote days, uh, as well as kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, catching up with some of the older friends in the industry. So that was really good. Um, Navis had a probably the, the biggest presence that we've ever had at Hall of Flowers this year. Um, really felt that we had kind of accumulated enough of that momentum and uh, mindshare in the cannabis space right now to uh, present in a, a good way. We've also had this unique setup where we co-located um, all of our brands that distributed through the Navis platform co-located in a single aisle. So it really kind of gave that um, presence um, uh, to our company, which we're uh, very happy about. And uh, lastly, um, they offered me to kind of be the closing speaker of the core conversations, which they started this year. Um, and we were able to kind of have a frank conversation with uh, regards to a lot of the issues that's happening in cannabis right now. So that was awesome. Excellent. Yeah, I'm certainly going to circle back to um, both just the brands and, and the Navis portfolio in general, but also some of those issues. But maybe first, if you could sort of set the stage for uh, not only Navis, but also yourself and, um, you know, over the years or, or rewinding the clock a little bit, um, what mm-hmm. brought you into cannabis specifically and, and how did Navis sort of come together? Yeah. Um, so maybe it's uh, good to kind of introduce myself. My name is June Lee. Uh, I'm the co-founder and president at Navis. Um, I've been working on this company for about four and a half years. Um, prior to Navis, my background is actually in high tech. So it wasn't in distribution or cannabis. And, uh, you know, we, we stumbled upon the industry 
history in 2017, right at the passage uh, or after the passage of Prop 64. I think uh, Vince and I, who I've been friends with since high school, uh, stumbled upon an article which discussed this kind of impending legalization of cannabis. And us kind of being software engineers, we were looking for opportunities where uh, there's an outsized uh, um, opportunity for impact. And um, cannabis jumped out as one. Initially, it was kind of an idea of let's do something in the cannabis industry. So we um, actually set out to do some research uh, on opening up up a dispensary. Um, I spent my time uh, some time in Amsterdam in my previous years, and uh, you know, really loved that coffee shop culture. We thought that potentially we could bring something like that into the industry. Um, but after uh, visiting a couple of shops, talking to some folks in the industry, we saw a bigger opportunity and uh, for uh, problem solving in the transportation side of things. Uh, and it kind of fit really nicely into our kind of professional training um, in uh, distributed systems design and implementation. Excellent. And uh, of course, you know, a lot has, has certainly happened in California and in the industry in general over the last uh, four, four and a half years here. Um, just sort of painting a picture of, of California in, in 2021, what are some of the major problems that you and, and, and the Navis team are, are trying to solve right now? And I realize that's probably a big, broad question, um, but is there sort of a, an example of a classic problem that, that you're really working to hone in on this year? Yeah, well, I think um, it's important to kind of paint the uh, broader context of the problem, the, the overall problem that we're trying to solve in the long term, and we can kind of uh, zero in on what we're focused on right now. Um, so when we arrived at the industry in 2017, there was really this absolute dearth of any organized infrastructure to transfer cannabis goods. Um, you know, uh, California is a $4 billion market that's only growing. There are all these, you know, 40 million consumers that are looking to um, you know, consume cannabis in, in whatever form. And, um, you know, uh, the, the biggest problem that we saw was that there was just, uh, you know, no cost effective and scalable way to get the products to the end consumer. And that's kind of what we focused on in the first two years, really building out that physical infrastructure. Uh, we started with a single warehouse in Oakland, then we quickly expanded to LA to kind of cover the two major population zones and establish kind of routes, um, you know, between those two hubs and from uh, those hubs to the kind of the capillary areas in, you know, northern and southern, um, you know, edges. Um, and, and that was a pretty monumental problem that we, we focused on. And, you know, probably around uh, late 2019 was when we had fully kind of solved that, okay, uh, you know, we were able to take product anywhere in California and reliably ship it to any retailer in California within a 72 hour window. And that was a uh, you know, um, uh, a big, big step forward. Um, and then the last two years, we've been focused on other problems, kind of uh, leveraging our distribution infrastructure as kind of this, um, our, our platform, we built a lot of value added services on top of it. So uh, one thing that we saw was that there was still this kind of uh, friction in the way that brands were able to sell to retailers. So we started the Navis Marketplace, which is an online e-commerce uh, uh, wholesale marketplace where uh, any retailer with a license can sign up and essentially browse and shop for all the brands on our platform. Um, second was Navis Capital. So uh, another big problem that we saw was that banking is not widely av available and uh, capital is generally very expensive um, for small operators. So being kind of a larger operator with access to kind of our venture funds and other means of um, capitalization, uh, we uh, started kind of an invoice factoring uh, business, which can be interpreted as kind of a short-term loan that we give out to suppliers for the purpose of creating cash flow. Um, and then the third problem that we're really focused on right now is analytics. So um, we amass a, a decent amount of data from all the work that we do, 
Um, essentially, we know the the whereabouts of about 120 brands, um, and you know uh, which geographies are purchasing them at and at, at what rate. Um, and uh, we felt that we could kind of uh, you know refurbish this data and for, uh, and and process it in a way that would be um, uh, insightful to the businesses that we work with. Um, so. Uh, we launched Navis uh, Analytics, which is kind of a, a software as a service model where um, people can analyze their own data compared to the market uh, data that we see so they can make, make better decisions for their business. Yeah, you know, it sort of uh, calls to mind um, outside the cannabis industry, at least, there's all, all sorts of conversations going on right now about the global supply chain and a lot of transportation issues that are facing that companies are facing all over the world. And it's uh, certainly an extremely complex topic that uh, is a little out of my depth. But I'm curious, is, is the cannabis industry a little insulated because it's a state-by-state -state type of marketplace? Um, or are there familiar bottlenecks that uh, retailers in cannabis might be facing in much the same way that a hardware store might be facing? Or, or is cannabis sort of on its own playing ground? Right? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely more insulated, but to Say that it's completely insulated would be um, would be an overstatement. So um, obviously, a lot of packaging, glass jars, or uh, labels, um, or any kind of uh, you know non-cannabis products that become part of the final CPG uh, does make its way uh, from all over the world. Um, you know, uh, from China, from Taiwan, and from all these different places. So uh, you know, when COVID hit, and there was kind of this choke point in in the global supply chain. Cannabis industry was certainly affected by that. However, the, you know, it is insulated in the sense that um, uh, right now, all cannabis grow, uh, that is sold in California, at least in the legal market, is, has to be grown in California, packaged and manufactured in California. So it's a little bit more of a, an isolated and contained problem set that we're solving. Um, you know, one thing that I am thankful for is that, you know, because Navis is part of the, the inception of this industry, we get to really kind of take a... a you know, bite-sized um, approach to problem solving. We're not suddenly having to solve global supply chain for cannabis. We're really focused on the regional side. And, um, you know, I, it's, I, we're very much looking forward to eventually extending some of our model nationally. And what does it mean once interstate commerce of cannabis is legalized is something that we think about a lot as we, um, you know, start our plans for out-of-state expansion, um, you know, earlier next year as well. Um, and, you know, uh, if, if we are to kind of imagine this national supply chain, which areas or geographies make the most sense to locate our hubs and uh, things like that, something that we think about a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of hubs, I know that uh, not too long ago, the company had announced that it more than doubled uh, its capacity in the Southern California, Southern part of the state. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean in, in real terms? I know you were sort of getting at this earlier, but is that pure storage space and trucks or or how did you, what goes into expanding capacity like that? Yeah, so procuring licensed real estate is probably the most challenging part of, um, of the factors to scale in the cannabis industry uh, in the sense that, you know, if you're trying to get a vehicle, you can walk into a dealership, purchase a vehicle. If you're trying to hire someone, you go list it on normal, uh, you know, Indeed or some of these um, uh, hiring management systems and you hire them. But for license space, it's very difficult to procure. Uh, even if you have a space available, you have to go through the licensing process, and that takes obviously a lot of time. Um, so uh, procuring space is something that we take very seriously, and it's a very methodical approach within Navis because essentially we have over 120 brands and manufacturers entrusting us with storing their cannabis products. 
And uh, at any given time right now, um, we're shipping out about 15 to $16 million worth of wholesale goods per month, but we're storing at any given time about $30 million worth of cannabis goods. So, um, you know, some of the considerations that go into it because of that is one, is this place safe and secure? Two, is this place unit economically viable? And three, is there, uh, is this geographically in an ideal location that would support uh, distribution in, in California? Um, so, you know, Oakland and LA was really where we decided to put, uh, anchor our, uh, uh initial hubs because we, that was the most population dense areas in, in California. Um, the, 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 Third facility that we opened actually in Commerce, California, which is about 15 minutes east of, uh, or 15 minutes, uh, yeah, east of uh, Los Angeles, was kind of a bridge solution to make sure that we have enough capacity um, to support our growth until uh, middle of next year. So um, total right now, we are juggling about 71,000 square feet statewide, and we think that that's going to support us for the next few months. Um, our long-term plan for, uh, you know, 2022 and beyond is a more centralized approach. So we're actually currently in the process of constructing a 100,000 square feet warehouse in Central California in a city called Woodlake. It's uh, if you were to draw a line from Oakland and LA, uh, Woodlake would right be, uh, be right in the middle of it. And the idea there would be to really um, gain access to, um, you know, a large space that's uh, slightly at a lower uh, dollar per square foot that we could centralize and uh, where we can centralize our pickback operation add a lot more automation technology. And then eventually the hub that we have in LA and Oakland will turn into kind of the, the spokes of the wheel uh, per se. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big problem as, as we kind of think about it right now, um, you know, Navis ships about 10% of all legal cannabis uh, produced in, in the state. And that's a fairly large responsibility, but in, you know, distribution is an economy as a scale business. So we should, we always think about, okay, what does it mean when we have 40% of the market, how much space does that require? And are we set up uh, in the next, you know, 12 months to support that kind of narrative uh, moving forward? So that 100,000 square feet facility, uh, we're also hoping to turn that into or build three identical additional buildings next to it. So that at its full completion state, it'd be almost a half a million uh, square feet that we'll be operating. And that, you know, theoretically is enough to support the entirety of California today. But, um, you know, as you know, the industry is growing really, really fast. So, you know, the, the challenge here is to really outpace the growth of the market itself. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is growing uh, extremely fast. And um, I think a large part of that, or at least a large part of the conversation around that growth has been the development of brands. This also goes hand in hand with the whole normalization conversation in cannabis. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, having uh, you know more than 120 brands and manufacturers under the, the Navis umbrella. Um, and this may be uh, an overly obvious question, but I uh, just wanted to get a sense from you of the importance of having all those brands sort of in one place. And, um, you know, four years ago, three years ago, um, the idea of brand development was maybe less visible than it is now, but it's certainly becoming more visible as everybody sort of knows what a brand is and how to interact with a brand as it comes Mm -hmm. into cannabis. But from your perspective on this side of the industry, uh, what's the importance of brand development in cannabis? Yeah. Um, so I answer your first question about like the need and importance of centralizing the operations for all these brands. And as you can imagine, um, you know, uh, if you're a normal consumer trying to ship a package from California to Massachusetts, you either go to USPS, UPS or FedEx. And there are reasons why there's such a uh, limited um, choice set there, because, you know, trucking is a simple business where the more things you ch- uh, ship, the cheaper you can ship individual units with. It'd be highly uneconomical and also environmentally detrimental for 
all these individual brands to own their own vehicles, pay for gas and, you know, drive around their products. So I, I think that's an important role that we serve. Um, in terms of uh, brand development, I think um, this is where uh, our thesis kind of differs from other distributors in the States. Um, so traditional distributors job is to kind of identify the winning brands and essentially back them and become uh, kind of this, um, you know, uh, forced to uh, support and push the, the limited set of brands that they carry. And this is kind of a similar, uh, or this is the reason why if you walk into kind of a liquor store in uh, California, or if you walk into a liquor store in Vermont, you'll find kind of the same household brands uh, in both those shelves. Um, for cannabis, we thought that actually, um, you know, uh, one thing that was very dif uh, different than other industries is that the brand space is extremely fragmented. There are hundreds of brands in California that uh, are relevant uh, in the in the volume of uh, work that they do. And then two, the winners of the Californian brand or just cannabis brands in general haven't been really determined yet. And we think that it's going to be a competitive landscape for the foreseeable future. So instead of kind of designing a business model where we kind of uh, choose the winning brands, we felt that creating an open platform where any brands can come to Navis and kind of compete in our ecosystem would be one, uh, the best uh, business model for Navis, but two, um, also a more, you know, conducive to a more exciting future in cannabis where there's kind of this constant product churn and innovation and consumers at the end of the day kind of get to decide what they want with as much choice available. Um, brand development is very important that, well, in, in California, Prop 64 has essentially mandated uh, branded CPGs um, in its final form, kind of, uh, you know, sealed in its own container, the days of kind of a, a mason jar full of nugs and uh, you know, uh, plastic bags uh, filled with, uh, you know, concentrates are kind of over. And uh, so there's kind of a regulatory push for it. The other is, the you know, with the branded products, uh, there's much more opportunity for um, these companies to tell a more compelling story to get closer to the consumer. It's not just about uh, what the product form factor is anymore. It's what they stand for. What are the ethos of the brand and um, how does the consumer kind of relate to the brand beyond, uh, you know, uh, what's exactly inside the packaging? Um, Brand loyalty is something that's still developing in cannabis. I'd say that um, there's no uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi equivalent uh, by any means. And um, we're, we're seeing that, uh, you know, the, even most, the most established brands, um, you know, can't really stay still uh, per se. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, in, in 2018, when cannabis uh, industry was uh, forming in California, um, you know, there were certain kind of giants per se, uh, select, for example, had a very large market share and uh, was quickly kind of disassembled by some of the uh, more competitive forces in live resin and other forms of concentrates that came into the market. Same with the edible and adjustable side. Um, you know, we thought, um, you know, Plus, Kana, Kiva, Caminos uh, really had a grasp on the market when kind of wild comes out of nowhere in 2019 and sweeps the market. So I think there's going to be a lot of those, um, you know, uh, sweeps and turns uh, over the next few, few years. Yeah, I mean, and that's certainly such an interesting dynamic to watch unfold uh, from market to market, certainly in California. And, you know, a lot of what we're talking about here is just physical space, and that obviously includes shelf space, um, which on the retail side means storefronts and just the physical locations of dispensaries. So I just want to get a sense from you of, you know, the, the, the retail landscape in California and just the pure number of dispensaries. A lot of the conversations I've been having, at, you know, the, the resounding takeaway is that there aren't enough dispensaries in the state. And of course, there's a lot of counties uh, that don't want anything to do with, with licensed cannabis industry just yet or even at all. Um, so from, from the perspective of 
of a company in Navis's position, you know, how is the state doing in terms of balancing a growing demand with just uh, the number of, of storefronts? Is is that in an equilibrium yet, or do we need more retail in, in California? Yeah, um, we absolutely need more retailers in California. To put it in perspective, there's 40 million people that live in California, and only about 1,200 active doors that are you know, available. So if you kind of do the math, uh, it's a lot of people for every store um, that, uh, you know, that California has. The other problem is that California has almost, um, you know, 6,000 acres of cultivation that's set up uh, and licensed. So um, there, there's really uh, no way currently, you know, from a physical perspective uh, for California to fully legally process all the biomass it's generating to its uh, legal outlets. So um, I think that we're far from equilibrium. Uh, the state generally is aware of this tendency. And I think, um, you know, they're also somewhat incentivized to uh, increase the number of storefronts from the perspective of tax revenue. But, um, you know, this is uh, with any anything as political as cannabis, it's uh, just a battle that it will take some time. I, I do think that there's a promising trend. There was a you know, um, you know, the number of licensed retailers in 2018 was something like 400. After that, in 2019, was like, you know, 800. Now, it's, it's certainly uh, on its way up, but I think it's going to take some time until it really gets to that equilibrium point, which I believe is, you know, many, uh, potentially many orders of magnitude more than what we have today. Certainly, yeah. Um, well, I know uh, you mentioned uh, some of Navis's goals looking ahead, and you were discussing the, the facility in Central California, but just Looking ahead into 2022, more on just the market trends side of things. And I don't know, maybe you got into this at Hall of Flowers, but what sort of market trends are you hoping to see over the next six to 12 months uh, that might move the industry in a, in a in a good direction, in your opinion? Yeah, um, there's a lot of lots to unpack there. Um, a couple of major trends that we see right now. Um, so one that I talked about during my panel at Hall of Flowers is kind of this plummeting price of raw material and biomass. So, um, you know, most categories of flower in the bulk market has fallen pretty steeply in price. Um, there are some less affected categories like indoor flower, but uh, in some categories of outdoor or especially kind of mid-grade uh, buds, um, we've seen almost like a 90 to 80% compression in prices, uh, which is unheard of uh, in any commodities market. And I, I do tend to think that that trend will continue. I think um, uh, price of flour will go down. And I think that has a, a large impact on the, the, the path that brands will need to take. Um, so I think um, in the first kind of three, four years of cannabis in California, price point has been a major form of differentiation and competitive advantage where essentially companies have uh, with access to large infrastructure, with access to capital and and biomass, we're, we're able to capture parts of the market by saying, okay, we are the budget or the value brand, or we're the mid-tier brand, we're the high-tier brand. And I think a lot of that distinction will start to go away because um, many more people will be able to sell products um, at, a, at a, a reasonable price point. So, you know, it's my opinion that the branding and the messaging that the, and the story that the brand tells really will have a much higher impact on, you know, uh, generating that revenue from the consumers. And, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, we're already seeing kind of the emergence of these uh, brands with very strong brand identities like Stizzy or Wonder Bread or, you know, um, uh, um, cookies of the world that's uh, really starting to become more and more relevant as time goes by. Um, the other trend that I see is just I think um, the kind of age of optimization is coming. Uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, Q3 
cannabis has kind of still been in this process of transitioning from the black market uh, to, or the traditional market to uh, kind of the regulated environment. And there were a lot of kind of old habits or, uh, you know, inertia from the previous industry that um, kind of made it uh, difficult for standard businesses to thrive. Uh, so, for example, um, before this kind of compression in price of flour, I think a lot of the margins available uh, to be captured was concentrated on the cultivators, which is very much not the case um, in any other mature kind of agricultural goods. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think the, the, you know, more people will seek out more, uh, industrial and optimized solutions. Um, I think from the distributor, uh, distribution perspective, um, I think more self-distributing brands and companies will start looking for uh, kind of folks that um, do it as their kind of core competency um, and uh, start to really look at optimizing their margins that way. Certainly, and it's interesting to see the seeds of those trends beginning to manifest, uh, especially in, in California, which has you know, been an obvious market leader in, in a lot of categories, um, as, as more and more states come online and, and learn learn the same lessons, uh, but on a much more compressed time scale. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. interesting to watch. Um, but Juna, yeah, well, uh, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, you know, I, these are, you know, there's so many different things that go into uh, these broad topics like the supply chain or distribution. And uh, again, for all the other uh, unrelated reasons, people are familiarizing themselves as consumers in other industries, but in cannabis, it's, it's interesting to watch a lot of this evolve very quickly. Yeah. So uh, definitely glad to have you on the show this week. Sure. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate your time. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. That's episode 16. That was June S. Lee. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. You know, it's always a reminder that for all the issues affecting industries all over the world these days, over the last year and a half, especially for all the obvious reasons, uh, all those things affect cannabis too in different ways. It's interesting to grab some of the the more national headlines from the front pages of, of papers, things that you're seeing in other areas of your life, and bring them into cannabis to examine a bit more closely. So certainly appreciate June giving us a bit of a frontline look at distribution in cannabis, at least in in California. Well, in the episodes coming up, we're going to be tackling some similar trends, moving into some different markets. We're going to be touching on hemp as well in an upcoming episode. Uh, I should say episodes, plural. We'll be dealing with hemp and some of the lessons learned at Cannabis Conference 2021. So stay tuned every Friday as we continue to go beyond the show.